Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, a show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Mark Ensign. Mark is a keynote speaker, best-selling author, and Broadway musician. He's also the founder and big cheese at Loud Mouse, a personal branding agency empowering speakers, authors, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to impact the world. And as you find out today, Mark is a complete and total dick. And that is definitely not what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Ensign. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I like I like that puzzled look on your face when you say Broadway musician. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's 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 many job titles that sound a bit confusing, but Broadway musician is probably not one that you expect to see next to anything else. Right, of course. You know, if you're a Broadway musician, you're a Broadway musician. You know, right. this is the peak of of your professional and personal lives. You know, what, what are you doing doing other things? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it does. It it is it is a strange path to connect the dots. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely mm-hmm. admit to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's something I, I'm not. I wasn't 100 percent sure of. You know, looking at looking at the, your your blog and the website and everything else. Are you still a Broadway musician? No, well, actually, unfortunately, nobody's a Broadway musician right now, just because Broadway is well, closed. <laughs> but, well, yes, but, uh, yes. So, so, um, but I still, uh, I still sub. So I don't do it full time. Um, I do it more f- now. It, it, it's become like, like, which is even funnier, a side hustle. Like, like Broadway has become like <laughs> Broadway has become my side hustle. So I, I, uh, I fill in for a couple of shows uh, on tour uh, every, you know, a couple times a year. Which shows? Uh, the main show is Rent. That's that's the that's the main show that I've done. But I've also done Smokey Joe's Cafe and and um, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and a couple others. Very nice. Yeah. And you know, one thing I wanted to thank you is that I've I've had people all my life telling me I'm a dick, and I understand that <laughs> that was always a compliment. I was getting that wrong. That's right. Right. <laughs> well, I can't say because we don't know each other well enough yet. <laughs> It could be it could be a lowercase d, or it could be yeah. an uppercase d. It's, it makes all the difference. The uh, capitalization uh, changes everything. <laughs> right? Should we, should we should we explain to anyone who has absolutely no clue why we seem to be uh, so fixated on this word? Um, and you know, we're not teenagers anymore, so that's not okay to do in public. Uh, <laughs> I you know I think there's an opportunity here to make people listen to the very end, and we'll tell them before we go. 
Why, why, okay, <laughs> that, no, might, no. that might scooper some of my conversational plans for this afternoon. But uh. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. So, so uh, I recently wrote a book um, called "Be a Dick." It came out uh, about a week or two ago, and um, it is not what it seems. Uh, it is actually a. Um, it starts off as. It's it's a story based book, um, parable almost, but it is a true story about uh, about a moment in my life where I was kind of in that mid nervous breakdown that we all go through at like you know in our early forties, a midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, uh, where uh, I, I had this vision. I, that, I call that I call that right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like right steeped in the middle of it right now. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it, it was that you know I. I I grew up with this idea that I was going to make this big difference and I was going to change the world. And here I am at 40 years old and I have a job and I'm working and I have a family and, and the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and all the stuff that you're supposed to have and the, the mortgage payment. And, um, and it really just kind of hit me that like, wow, like what have I done to really make a difference in the world? Now, at the time, like, you know, I, I had a healthy, happy family and I mean, I still do. I don't want to make it sound like I ditched them. And and I had a, a a good career, and I was playing music, and I had started a company. Like I was successful by all by all means, but I was unfulfilled. And so, you know, I did what any normal person would do in that moment, and I sold everything I owned, and <laughs> and I dragged my family away from their friends and and uh, everything that they knew, and and we moved sight unseen down to Tampa, Florida, from New Jersey, uh, which is about twelve hundred miles, or you know, however many kilometers that it comes out to. I don't know where, you know. Um, so I always loved the Gulf Coast. And I had a client that was in Destin, Florida, which is right on the Gulf Coast. But it's very touristy. And like every corner, uh, there was a T-shirt store. And I was like, well, I don't want to live there. Like that, see, you know, like that doesn't look like a very fun place to live because it's just, you know, after a while the tourists get in the way. Um, so we followed the uh, we, the Gulf Coast around, and then there was like Tampa. Like I've been to Tampa. Like when I was on tour with the show, uh, I remember Tampa being kind of cool. So I was like, we should just move there. And we also were thinking about Colorado, but I didn't like the idea of being landlocked because I, I do like the uh, I do like the the beach. And, uh, and so we moved and we sold everything, got in a van and, um, and started driving south and, and we got here and, you know, when you make a mistake or you do something and, and instantly go, like, you know, you instantly kind of correct yourself. It was like one of those kind of moments, but like I sold everything, including my house. Like, like there was no correcting this, like I was in. And so I started having a little bit of a, you know, like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, when, when you start really second guessing yourself and really beating yourself up and then it starts piling up and piling up and the stress level goes up and, um, and you didn't, you know, you've convinced yourself you're just in the middle of this bad nightmare and that's where I was at. And my wife threw me out of the house. She's like, not permanently, just like go for a walk, you know, get rid of whatever this is. And, uh, and, and then, you know, and then come back and, and hopefully you'll have walked it off. And so, uh, so that's what I did. She made me take the kids with me. So I didn't, you know, run away or just start running North. I, you know, I walked about, you know, about seven or eight houses down. Uh, and that's when I bumped into, uh, my neighbor, Dick, who was this, um, you know, guy in his probably at the time he was, in, you know, mid sixties. And uh, one of the kindest um, uh, people I've ever met, um, just just an extraordinary human being. And so this book is about you know me at my worst meeting this guy that becomes my mentor, 
and teaches me all of these incredible lessons about what I eventually turned in, you know, coined uh, what it t- takes to be a dick. You said something before when you described the book, and, and I think it's it's an interesting way to describe a book. You said it was it's a story-based book. My first reaction to that is, first, isn't every book a story-based <laughs> I book? I guess so, yeah. And, and then I thought, well, it should be if it's not, but but that's... But that's very much what it is, and it is it is a story, and it's a very easy to read story. We, we we met just you know a week ago or so, and you you were kind enough to send me the book, which I read in I think a couple of hours, and and then immediately felt guilty that you sent it to me, and then I went and bought it and left left <laughs> 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 the review. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Um, but, but the main thing about it is is how it is very much a story, and it's very a story that pulls you along. So, you know, when you read, actually, when you read the subtitle of the book, it's easy to think that it's going to be a lot more preachy than it actually turns out to be. And I think I've read uh, or I heard you say somewhere that there were versions of it that were that they weren't anywhere like that final version, right? So I I had written uh, this is not a joke. I mean, I had written the book uh I think it was like 17 or 18 times. Like like I, you know, I just uh, this is this is over the course of a couple of years um where I had this story. I was pregnant with this story and I just couldn't quite figure out how to uh put it into words. And so, you know, what we often do sometimes is we overthink things and and uh and so I created a very non-fiction uh, version of the story where it was basically the story, as you know, it, it, it breaks down my uh, interactions and my relationship with my neighbor, Dick, into these 12 um, principles, you know, be kind, be helpful, be humble, be uh, compassionate, all these different, all these different uh, uh, you know, principles. And so what I would do is I would do the first, you know, half of the, the part about when I learned about being kind from Dick. And then I went 20 pages into like, here's a step-by-step tutorial on how to be kind. (laughs) And it was brutal. Like it was like really hard to read. It was like 250 pages by the time I was, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. Like this is really, (laughs) it just was really awful to try to read. And then, and so I was like, well, that's not going to work. So, you know, then I I was like, I got to get this story out of my head for a little while and I'll come back to another day. And so a year goes by and then I'd start writing again. And, um, and, and when I started writing it this time, because we were all trapped in our house and I, you know, I needed something to do. And, and also, um, it really kind of occurred to me like, wow, like, like, you know, Dick is getting older. And what if he never knows that, you know, how much all of this really meant to me? And, and I never, he never gets to read this book. And that was a pretty devastating thought. So during this quarantine, I decided to start writing again. And I figured I was going to break out the old versions of the book and then figure out which one I wanted to use and then just edit it and just send it out into the world. And I hated every single version of it. One was very dark. One was very preachy. One was very tutorial based. Um, one was just like completely incredibly immature with nothing but dick jokes and, <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't, uh, you know, and I was like, none of these are right. I have to start over. So I started over again and, uh, that was this version. And I don't think I could have written this story five years ago when, when all this stuff kind of really started to come into pass. So I read that and I read you describing the grueling, grueling process of actually getting this book to the, to its final format. And and I was a bit confused because I so we spoke and then I went and and looked you up and then I found the speech you gave at Inbound, which is the core of the of of the Dick story, 
And that seems is very close to what the book turned out to be. Yeah. Uh, because it's just you telling the story and all the sort of what would be the preachy parts are, you know, a slide that you don't even mention is just there. And, and that, that to me worked perfectly. And then I eventually read the original blog post because this started as a blog post, right? Yeah. Yep. And the blog post sounds a lot more like what you're describing. And it's kind of, it breaks it down a lot. There's a lot of opinion in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And what that got me thinking was, was something I was just I had a, a guy called Sean Callahan uh, on the show a few episodes back, and he he runs a big story consultancy company called Anecdote. And what he finds that works very well for business storytelling is is inverting the order that a lot of people do stories. So he says, just give a line that essentially tells them what the point is going to be. Mm-hmm. So maybe the point is be kind, and then you just tell the story. Right, and then you don't have to go over why this because I'm, you said be kind. Now I'm listening with that in my head, and as the it's obvious that you're talking about someone being kind, then I go ah, I, I get what you're saying now. So it's sort of a, a pull approach where you're just bringing them along with the story, and not a push when you're just sending all this sort of morale out. And uh, I was surprised you had that much trouble because um, everything I've read from you from the blog and from that that speech and and this book was just sounded so natural that I thought that this is how you normally tell stories. Um, it is. And I think that, that um, when I say that I had trouble with it, I think it's, it, it was, I mean, because you, it's a story, like, like these are facts and it was just a matter of just telling the facts and, and all that. I, I mean, it's not like I'm like, geez, I wonder how Harry, Harry Potter is going to get out of this one. Like it wasn't that I didn't have that kind of trouble. It was really a matter of overthinking it. And having this, needing this to be bigger than it needed to be. So for example, like, like having to, you know, well, how am I going to, I did research on how to be kind and how to be compassionate, how to be vulnerable. I was reading books on all this stuff because like this had to be the Bible on all these 12 principles when really, when you look at each of the principles, they're so, it's really so innate to us as human beings. Like, like we are kind by nature and we are compassionate and we are, you know, thoughtful and helpful and all these things, you know, the majority of people, you know, we just need to be reminded every now and then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it doesn't need like this step-by-step and, you know, and like, like this, the, the level which I had over, you know, would overthink it. I need this thing to be 300 or 500 pages and I need it to be this, you know, this, this, uh, huge ordeal of, of, a uh, you know, of a story as opposed to, why don't I just tell people what happened? And, uh, and, and I think, and, and, and this is totally by accident because I didn't obviously didn't hear your podcast before I, before I wrote the book, but I, I start, I decided to name, I had all these weird titles for chapters and then you had to, de, you know, like, like kind of, it was encrypted as to what the lesson was. And then I decided to change the titles to each of these different principles. So the title is be kind. And then here's the story very much like what you were saying earlier, totally by accident. That wasn't like done on purpose by any means, but, um, but it is that, you know, and, and I found that that really set the tone for what you're about to read. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I blame Superman. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and the, the reason I blame Superman is, and again, I hadn't read anything of you talking about you know your fascination with superheroes when you were a kid you said something like you wanted to change how the world spins mm-hmm. 
and and I thought, hold on, that this is a very this is a very peculiar way of describing <laughs> that you want to affect right. the world. <laughs> and I thought, who who is to change how the world spins all the time? Uh, and and again, I don't know if it was a Superman reference, but it it's clearly sounded like a superhero reference. And then you know, the more I read your stuff, then it's pretty obvious that that you know this is the type of stuff you used to like when you, when you were a kid, as as did I, and 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 perhaps. This is this is something that is a problem with stories. Is you know superheroes are great, but they are terrible for people trying to figure out how to tell stories because it's all about these big things, right? Everything right. needs to be cosmic. Everything needs to be you know the world is now in danger and you need to save it. It's not you know this tiny obstacle that I need to overcome because that doesn't make for great adventures or, or great Hollywood movies. It always has to be big. Whereas actually, I think would argue and i think your book supports that the small stories that you can relate to are way more likely to be meaningful because you can relate to them whereas if um if you you're talking about if dick was this guy who had climbed everest or you know whatever he went to africa and lived there for 30 years doing charity and nothing but charity it's hard to say you know i want to be like that guy right because you know we we don't really want to be like that guy, really. <laughs> we don't really want to. <laughs> we don't really want to be like that guy. Um, and by the way, I don't think we actually like said it went into any specifics about like the type of stuff that that Dick did. So you know, of all the many things that he did that influenced you and that create you know made him a sort of a mentor for you, can you just share one of them? Sure. So, so, and, and just to take a quick step back, but um, you know, as far as changing the way the 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 world spins or the Earth spins or you know, knock it off its axis, like I use very extreme language, and I do that on purpose because because that's where I think my head was at, and I think that's where what a lot of people think. I think people in general come up with something that's so incredibly impossible. Like there is absolutely nothing I could possibly do. In, in any way, shape, or form that will change the way the earth spins. And so I set that up as a goal for myself. So just to just to ensure that I fail miserably at it. And and I think a lot of us do that. And then we go like, geez, I guess I just don't matter. You know, my life doesn't matter. What have I done? You know, like, yeah, well, look what you're putting yourself up uh, against. You're, you've created this impossible goal that you don't stand a chance with. And so, uh, so that's, that's where I was at as a kid. And as I grew up, it just became a more adult version of that. You know, I have a friend of mine who built a, um, he built an orphanage in the Dominican Republic. I mean, you know, in, in my mind, it's like, wow, that is a guy that is changing the world. How do I even, I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Like, I, I, you know, another friend who raised money by walking um, from uh, Tampa to uh, California. And, uh, and he raised a bunch of money for a good cause and got a lot of news and press over it and stuff. And, you know, and again, like... People. Just like, making us look bad. <laughs> you make me like, like I got a wife and kids. Like, you know, like I'm winded when I walk up around the block, you know, with the dog. Like, it, like I'm not walking 3,000 miles uh, to raise, you know, like I just don't have time. Like, you know, I don't have the energy and I don't know, you know, I don't even know where to begin with that either. And so, so I have all these stories of friends that are doing these incredible things and I'm not one of them. And so I must not matter. And, uh, and what I really learned from Dick is that it really is the small things that make the big difference. Um, and, and one of those, uh, and the, the one that really set me off, like, okay, this is more than 
he's just a nice guy was uh, after I had been living in uh, Tampa for about a month, it was my birthday and he um, and he had uh, stopped by, which was always kind of odd because it was more me stalking him than him stalking me. So like, like so I was, neighbors, neighbors that stop by are a very strange thing. It's you know, it is like like oh, it's okay. Is like the neighborhood on fire? Or are you I, here to steal something from? <laughs> you know, I live I live here in Barcelona, right? And um, you know, my apartment there's a there's a big terrace on my apartment, and there's the neighbors on the other side. They have a big terrace. They are about our age. They have a kid who is about the same age as my oldest daughter, and now their youngest kid goes to the same daycare as my daughter. We've never exchanged three words. <laughs> No, that's what neighbors are, really. <laughs> right, right. You know, and if they did, if they did actually stop by and and just we just want to stop by and say hi, you close the door and say, "All right, so we were living near psychopaths. We need to move." Yeah, like, yeah like, what's wrong with you people? We can't live here anymore. We should. We should only communicate through you know passive aggressive uh, messages <laughs> right. slipped under the door. That's right. <laughs> smile and nod. That's your job. Just smile, do the cool guy nod, and keep walking. Um, but, uh, so he, so he had stopped by and, um, and, and, you know, like something was obviously up and he's like, um, I, you know, I, I just noticed on Facebook that your birthday's coming up and, um, and I know that you, um, you know, you left your entire family, you're here, you don't really know anybody. And so I wanted to do a little something for you. Now, uh, just a little bit of background, um, Dick spent 50 years, uh, as a producer for some of the biggest, you know, sports, games and you know like like, like uh producer right basket yeah like like it's i mean just basketball like world series you know the olympics like you name it like all the biggest in in the world and and so one of the things that you know he had since half retired and one of the things that he was still doing was the little league world series and he was gone for about a week uh producing the little league world series and uh and so he came back he, you know and he had said that that I have a little something for you for your birthday. Make it a little special, being that you're going to be alone. Not, and by alone, I was with my family and stuff. But still, like every all my friends were gone. I didn't have any friends in, in the neighborhood yet. And he had a baseball that he had signed by um, all the retired, you know, not all, but like a handful of retired uh, Red Sox players. But it's it, that's my team. And so he had uh, gotten this baseball uh, uh, at the Little League World Series, and then in the booth and in the audience, he found any retired Red Sox player he could find, and they signed it, and uh, and it was a gift for me. And um, it didn't cost him anything. Took a little bit of time to do it, uh, but that's about it. And yet, um, it just was the most thoughtful thing that anybody's ever done for me. Like, like you know, I didn't really know the guy that well. We had hung out a couple of times, you know, just walking our dogs. Uh, he had gone through all this trouble to do this for me. I was at the top of his mind when he was, you know, a thousand miles away working. And that to me was really special. That that showed me that like, okay, this isn't just like a be nice when you see somebody walking down the street kind of thing. Like this guy was always looking for ways of making the world a little better for the people in his corner of the globe. Like, and that's really what this came down to. Like, like, and it was just those little things like, like this, he did not build an orphanage in, the Dominican Republic, and he did not walk three thousand miles, uh, you know, to raise money for a cause. He just had a baseball signed, and in my world, it was equally as impactful. It was, it was, wow. a, it was, it just changed things for me. And so, so that was probably the most, you know, like, like, and th- and that's the the uh, chapter called "Be Thoughtful." Hmm. I, I, you know, I'm not a big believer in, you know, destiny or fate or any nonsense like that. 
But there's some coincidences that can freak you out a little bit. So I read your book between Saturday and Sunday just now, right? So a couple of days ago. I finished your book, and then I went back to the book I had been reading, which was a book called The Girl with Seven Names, which is about a girl who left, who defected from North Korea. And, um, you know, in the, I'm in the last part of the book and she's trying to get her family out and they are in Laos and they, she's ran out of money to bribe people. It's all going horribly wrong. And then there was this tourist that had got into Laos with her and then she sees him around. And then at some point he comes and asks her, you know, you know what, what, what are you doing here? You've been here for a long time. And he says, she explains the situation to him and he goes to the ATM, takes out a whole bunch of money and gives it to her. I give you one chance to guess what this guy's name was. <laughs> was it Dick? Yep. Would stop, really? Uh-huh. Dick. <laughs> yeah, I could the surname doesn't sound like someone who actually, you know, run gets Emmys. I checked. But, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Dick not the Volpe same guy. Okay. I read I was like, no, no, no. This is this is too much. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a whole army of dicks out there, you know, doing things and being nice to yeah. people and and not taking any fame for it i mean because and, and again this guy was like essential to to what happened to her and and then i went and listened to her she has got a ted talk with like 14 million views or something and uh she doesn't actually no she mentions him but not by name like the guy had made no effort to claim credit I actually said you know i'm not helping you i'm just i'm just like these people need help i'm, I'm just wow. i can so so i'm helping i read that i was like this is a bit weird that <laughs> is could, really weird i could not have set that up if i had tried wow so well it's go. and it, it's funny because i i um uh when i first got the the box of books in the mail and like you know that's like this very eventful thing and uh, i almost like i was like wow like you know like box of books like that's really cool like it really solidified it for me but what was more important was like okay now i gotta go to dick's house and drop them off and uh, and I did, and I draw, I draw, I brought a couple of books for him and his wife, and and it was just uh, it was just a very meaningful moment to me to to be able to you know kind of thank him, and you know he's just you know he's very humble in his cool. So how's everything else going? <laughs> you know, like I was like, oh my god, he didn't you know didn't really didn't really register with him right away, and then and then a couple of days later I get a text from him, and uh, a very very deep meaningful text about you know after he had read the book and and you know what it meant. And, um, and just, I guess, seeing how, how impactful our relationship was, uh, to my life. And then he, uh, he followed that up with, um, I'm curious where your life would be right now if my name wasn't Dick. <laughs> and so, so I was, I was laughing about it, uh, because I, you know, I started thinking about it and I was, I was like, well, you know, let me think about that for a second. And I think my life would be the same. Like I would have followed that same path extraordinary guy like it wasn't about his name like oh that guy's name is dick this should be fun like it wasn't that it <laughs> was it does make for a cracking a cracking uh, book title and speech opener <laughs> of course so so you know what i what i came to realize was that if his name wasn't dick it would have changed me but it wouldn't have changed anybody else because it would have stopped with me because nobody wants to read a book called you know be a good neighbor <laughs> you know like like um because you know, it just so happens that, uh, like, like you say, you know, like, like I'm not that big of a believer in, you know, having it all thrown onto your lap. But I mean, I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis. I'm a marketing guy. I moved, you know, down the street from a guy named Dick, who is an extraordinary person inside and out. 
<laughs> like it just, you know, like it is, there's a lot of things that had to come into, you know, come into play in order for this to, to work. And and that's true. And I think, you know, anyone who tells stories is also gifted with the ability of making it sound like the story you're currently living through was in a way logical and meant to be. And it, this thing led to this thing and obviously led to this current thing. But the other thing I, I was thinking as I read both the book and some other stuff you put out on the internet is uh, there was something I was trying to to understand and then just the other day it came to me and, and i actually posted about it I, I i called it the eye and i think a hundred percent you have it and and what i described as the eye is is this ability to just see normal life but in a way that is entertaining that is that can be inspiring so for example there's a there's a line you, you talked about how the first time you met dick it's, it's very hot out the children are with you and you said something like you know, my shoes were melting and the children were picking up leaves to make a shelter from the sun. Right. That's a great line, but, you know, most people wouldn't see that. And 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 as, as I read through the book and, and your examples of the things that Dick has done is you have to be sensitive to what you're seeing. And, and this is one of the reasons why I find some people struggle when, when they start trying to tell more stories is they don't see the message or the meaning behind the experiences they've had. Whereas, you know, if you if you're any good at storytelling or or branding or marketing, you are you're looking at that from all sorts of directions and trying to go, well, this this can this is definitely a lesson in being kind. This is about being humble. Whereas to other people, that wouldn't necessarily be obvious. Uh, and and there is this there is the situation you describe in the book about the guy who who read your stuff and then dropped everything and became a photographer somewhere. And the the message he sent you describes what I was trying to to, to describe with with the eye. I think what well, he said, not I think I have it written in front of me. So what he said was, uh, I appreciate that you can draw truth out of all the nonsense and uh, all the nonsense around and articulate it in a way that I can be able to hold on to at least one clear thought and continue trudging on. And then I think the next line was, you are changing the world even if it's only one lit little seed of wisdom at a time in lots of people's life. That, this adds up, that adds up, you know. And, and that, I think, is also a gift. It's Yes, Dick sounds like a remarkable person, but... I think you need to be able to see what's going on in your life, even if in, even if it's in retrospect and hindsight, and in all the different ways that he's that what he was doing was remarkable. Because otherwise, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just this cool neighbor you have. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's interesting that you say that. And I, I I love that third eye. Uh, you know, like that that idea behind like that that third or that eye that to be able to see that because I I do. Um, I don't know how, I don't know what it looks like and I don't know, you know, where it comes from, but I, I see life as a story. Um, and, and like, in a in a weird way, like, like things happen to me and I am able to tell it to people in a way that we're just cracking up and it's just really funny. And meanwhile, it's just this stupid little thing that to anybody else, it would be, you know, easily forgotten. You know, the fact is that we had somewhere around 60 or 80 houses on our block. Dick had a lot of neighbors. Nobody wrote a book about him. Nobody saw you know, like like, and he was a great neighbor to everybody. Like it wasn't just me. And when I when I wrote the first blog post, and a couple of people in the neighborhood read it, they're like, "Yeah, he is a really nice guy, huh?" You know, like like you know, and and they agreed with it, but they didn't see it. 
even my wife is just like 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 how do you meet the guy down the street and end up turning it into a you know into a story or a book or whatever so i i, I think that there is a, a a level of observation that storytellers have where it's almost like they're looking at something you know as it's happening almost like painting a you know creating a painting um you know it's a different level of detail you know it's 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 a way to be able to like capture this moment and like okay now how do i regurgitate this in a way that if somebody's not physically here they can feel how hot it is or how nice he is or what he did this or how this happened or how I was feeling at the time. And I think that is like, like a, a, a weird, you know, thing that like just comes very naturally to me and to, you know, to most storytellers, it makes, it definitely makes life a little more fun. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's being, being a storyteller. I don't know if it's just being in a different frame of mind where it's very easy to see things as very negative. You know, I just told you just before we started recording how I, I made the terrible mistake of updating my my computer um, because, you know, I had this important things coming up this week and I wanted the computer to be at its best. So I thought, okay, great. I'm going to update this operating system that I haven't done for two years. And then now obviously it's been 24 hours and I can't get this thing to, to work at all. And, you know, you could choose to be miserable about it and just complain over and over. Or you can try and see what's the funny side of it, what's the message behind it. And, and if you do that, I think life becomes becomes a lot easier. Yeah, um, I think so. And and I think that that uh, it forces you to have to look uh, deeper than what's on the surface, which is where I think it gets where I think life gets really interesting. Which I think is a good point to to drop, Dick, uh, and. <laughs> and move towards some of the other stuff you do, which I wanted to talk about. So one of the things you, I think is one of the keynotes you give is about, I think you call it growing your brand from the inside out, which is essentially about teaching companies how to tell their origin story, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So can you just tell me a bit about that? So, um, you know, I, I own a branding agency and, uh, and what we kind of do is, is, um, it's not just a typical branding agency like, hey, let's pick which color blue you like and what font works best for you. It's it really is about uh, creating a movement, um, you know, building a brand that uh, that has an impact that does something uh, special. And um, and with that in mind, people don't you know like we don't do business with logos and we don't do business with colors and we don't do you know we do business with people and with. Um, we do business with uh, uh, companies that make us feel a certain way, and uh, one way to do that is to humanize your, you know, humanize the brand by being able to tell the story, by being able to, you know, be a little vulnerable, uh, talk talk about that origin story, not so much from the perspective of, you know, boy, I woke up this morning and here, you know, here's a picture of me standing next to a Ferrari. Uh, because none of us care about that stuff. Um, what we really connect with is, you know, I want to hear about the walls you had to climb and the and some of the difficulties that you had to, that you were up against. And so, um, so that idea of of origin story and of uh, being able to really tell a company or a person's story in a way that connects with people is what really makes people want to do business with you more so than anything else that that you create in terms of your brand. Telling the origin story, I find, is is an exercise that is 
easier when you're dealing with it's very easy when you're talking to entrepreneurs or you know startups and things of that nature because because it's very fresh it's very connected to the person that's going to be telling it but i find that that gets harder and harder you know if the company has been going on for a long time and it's it's a very large company uh, i tend to find that the type a lot of the types of stories that i tell they just don't give themselves so well to that so so how do you find when you're dealing with a much larger organization, how does that change your approach to that, to that origin story or to how you grow that brand from the inside out? So with, with a larger company, I mean, obviously nobody, you know, uh, people care less and less with, as the company gets bigger and bigger in terms of, of that, um, you know, that founder or whatever, like nobody cares who, you know, the, the origin story of the guy who developed Coke, (laughs) you know, like, like, Unless they told us how he genuinely figured out to get cocaine in it. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> with everybody being totally cool about it. Yes, yes. You know, we're put <laughs> but that is a great founder story that no one is telling. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Teach the Coca-Cola next time you talk to them. Uh, but but once you get to a certain size, like then the shift kind of you know becomes less about that kind of founder story and that and and the, the people uh, within the company story, and becomes more and more about you know your story within that product. So, you know, people um, uh, people don't drink Coke because it tastes good or because they like the idea that it's going to rot their teeth and, and cause diabetes. Like they, they drink Coke because of um, that time they, you know, that that uh, they went on the first date with their now wife or husband and they, you know, they drank Coke at a movie theater or how they used to have an ice cold Coke with dad after they mowed the lawn when they were a kid. Like, like it be you know, like that becomes the story. It becomes like their origin story within the product. You know, Apple notoriously had a, a, a you know, like this this great story with Steve Jobs and and like you know how he left the company and came back and like like the Apple story was such a great story with Steve Jobs at the helm and once he had passed and Tim Cook came out like everyone's like eh like nobody cares about <laughs> that part of the not that they don't care about Apple like so so like it that, like that was like that shift in real time where it became less about the origin story of Apple and it became more about our re- story relationship with Apple kind of like Coke and so now it, you know we just you have all these people running around that that are just you know hell bent on using Apple products for everything and yet you know the story, like they, like they've cr- started to create their own origin story within that within that product because Apple origin story kind of died with Steve Jobs. Mm. Yeah, that's true, and I think that it's difficult for companies to. So, so I think there's two very different approaches. So one approach is the sort of more perhaps more traditional advertising approach or branding approach, if you want to call it that, where the company is trying to create an identity. Than that the brand represents. And sometimes that has nothing to do whatsoever with the people inside the organization, the people who founded the organization, or even sometimes with the with the customers. It's it's an aspirational brand. So it hasn't really got anything to do with the people that are, I don't know, buying a Mercedes-Benz. But that's still very popular. And the other approach that seems to be becoming more and more popular, which I think is part of what you might call uh, inspirational marketing, is is finding those very human stories within the company uh, and in the interactions with the customers that that actually resonate today you know uh, because the, the the bigger story the bigger aspirational stories i don't know i just think impression i get is that they are a bit they're a bit tired now i mean it's not i mean do you really want to see like a fancy car and go oh this is who i want to be in my life it, it feels very much out of touch it feels like it's a bunch of marketing people in a boardroom going all right what can we do to get them to want like, like 
you know, as opposed to really kind of understanding who people are and, you know, and especially, I th- and I think things have taken a, a pretty dramatic shift over the past, you know, year uh, because of everything that's going on. Like, like, you know, we see things differently. Um, I made the incredibly intelligent move of buying a car like three weeks before all this stuff happened and we locked down and all this, all this other, you oh, know, I, so. I, I, I'll see you, I'll see your stupid move and I'll raise you. <laughs> I, I made the decision to, after, you know, about 10 years of, you know, speaking in public and telling stories to take this thing professionally this year. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you know, you would. I would take. I would have taken the car. Uh, the car is fine. You <laughs> would sit there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, not funny. Ha ha. Funny, but you know. What I mean. Well, you know, we we you know, again uh, we choose to laugh at these things. <laughs> right. And uh, and so we see things differently because now you know I have a brand new car sitting in my garage that has four thousand or six thousand miles on it because we don't go anywhere. You know, and and. Um, and so now it's just like, well, uh, you know, uh, I don't really care. Like that car means nothing to me. Like now all of a sudden people are starting to go like, you know, experiences are, are more meaningful. I want to experience life again. And I think that, that, you know, when that starts showing up in your marketing, create an experience for me. Don't show me like, you know, an expensive car and expect me to go ooh and ah over it. Because, you know, I think we all kind of realize that, wow, that really is, I'd take, I'd take a, you know, a beat up old, you know, 1988 Chevy Cavalier, if, you know, if I could actually go somewhere with it, you know, and experience life a little more. I had a chat with someone on the show a month or two ago when we were thinking that this was all going to blow over a lot faster than it's looking like it will. And uh, we said that the uh, the travel advertising agency is going to have the easiest time of their lives for the next sort of year or two. And they would just show you a destination and say, because you can. <laughs> that's right. Or... or- because it's not home, <laughs> right? Anywhere but here. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so what what would you consider to be good examples of uh, of inspirational marketing? Well, first, how you define that, and what would be a good example, either from your work or stuff you've seen around? Uh, you know, like like one one story comes to mind that I just thought was so well done, and I, I forget the guy's name. I think his name is William. I'm not really sure. But uh, I saw this when when we used to go to movies. I saw this uh, like in the opening commercials, um, and it was a Hershey ad. And there was an older gentleman who was in his 90s. And for the past 30 years, you know, he'd wake up in the morning and he'd go to the store and he'd buy a box of chocolate bars and just start giving them out to people, uh, you know, like walking around town. He had nothing else to do. He just start giving them out. This old guy giving giving uh, candy bars to to people, which they tell you not to take candy from a stranger. And, <laughs> and yet we clearly didn't learn our lesson. But uh, and and he wasn't like on the payroll. It wasn't. It was just a thing that he did for many years. And Hershey caught wind of it and decided to do like a commercial, so so to speak. It was like you know two minute spot, um, telling his story. They weren't selling Hershey bars. They weren't. You know, it wasn't an ad for Hershey. They were just telling the story of this guy that was doing this great thing. Who was a dick. You know, if you want to if you want to call him that. <laughs> who was doing this great thing and using Hershey bars as the vehicle of in order to spread a little joy or whatever. And what was so great about it was it didn't end with like a, you know, so go to your local store and buy a Hershey bar. It was just, it was about the guy. 
and you left going like you know feeling really good about here's you know seeing all these kids smile and everybody was like you know they knew when they saw them they come run up and give them a hug and then get their hershey bar and all that just the joy in all these people's faces and it was you know tied to hershey bars indirectly and it wasn't pushy it wasn't preachy it just felt really good it was a little bit of something that we all needed like it just the way they position Hershey within the story uh, is, is where it was almost like, it almost felt like an ad placement where it was, it was so indirect that uh, you got the point and you wanted a Hershey bar when it was done. Yeah. There's this idea that advertising for a long time was showing, showing the customer who they would be if they bought that product. I heard right. um, I heard Donald Miller talk about how he used to see this ad about this great knife and the guy is just sort of MacGyvering around and you know the car is locked and it falls into the water and then he gets the knife out and he's like <laughs> I like I'll never he says I would never have any use for that knife, but I want to be that guy. That's it. I just want to be <laughs> right. that guy. And then All a friend right. gave him the knife and he just said, I just feel uh, I'm I'm more proud of myself for <laughs> being the kind of person who has right. a knife that I'll never ever use right. apart from maybe cutting an avocado. But I think that that approach it's so obvious nowadays that if if all you're doing is is you know this is an actor and this is a situation we're we're putting on just for you in, in a TV ad the impression I get is that it doesn't have the same impact anymore where if it's just this amazing old guy who just happens to be handing out Hershey's. Like, could be any other product. Luckily sure. for Hershey's, it was Hershey's. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm sure there's there's a guy that's doing it with Coke also. And there's a guy that's doing it. They just haven't found him yet. Or they're, they're not looking. You know, it, it's... You got to remember that, like, now we're in that day and age where, like, when's the last time you actually watched a commercial? Um, you know, we have Hulu and Netflix or, you know, DVR or whatever. Like, nobody watches commercials anymore. So, 99% of these companies that are putting together Mercedes ads or whatever are wasting their money because nobody's watching them. But it's the ones that are um, that are like that, that are meaningful, that have uh, some kind of – that are story-based, that are funny, that are, you know, shareable. That, that make us, you know, go like, oh my God, you're not going to believe this commercial. And then we post it on Facebook and now we're purposely watching commercials. Like we're seeking out and watching commercials on purpose because otherwise they wouldn't be in front of us. So you have to make something that, that touches people or makes them laugh or entertains them or is some kind, tell some kind of story that people want to spread and, and share with somebody else. Because if you don't, you've just wasted a lot of money. Uh, you know, hiring Matthew McConaughey to to drive around, you know, and, and try to sell cars and, and, and McConaughey around. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be something that really grabs you. Otherwise, we're not going to share it, and we're not going to, you know, if we don't share it, it's not going to get in front of people because there are no commercials anymore. The other aspect of that that I think is very important, and maybe can start changing the opinion that a lot of people like you. Uh, have where marketing has perhaps done less good to the world than than we would want it to do is that some of the best stories that you can ever possibly tell are the real ones that come out of you behaving properly towards the people that that come in contact with you so you know i was telling you about how uh, i don't know upgraded my mac software the whole thing went to hell 
but you know, I I sent <laughs> I logged on to the to the Apple uh, website at like four in the morning in Spain, and they called me back with a like a customer call, even though I'm three years past my warranty at eight in the morning. And I've now had three or four calls. They're trying to solve it. Every time I talk to them, I say, listen, we, we got this. Don't worry. We still have some stuff we can try. We'll be fine. Do you want us to call you back or would you rather call? So I've had an amazing interaction with them. And I will tell people about it. I'll say, yeah, they screwed up. There's stuff they could be doing better. But they, you know, they, they're owning it and they're dealing with it. And, and those are stories that companies like Apple actually know about which is why they have this practice, I don't know if you've heard about, where at the Apple store every single day, uh, the, the, man, the the team leader asks all the staff, you know, who gave you, who got a, like a hundred score or whatever, however measure they have for that, or five stars or whatever. And the guy's like, oh, I got, I, got, I got one this afternoon. Okay, what happened? Well, the customer came in with this and I did that for him. And that's, so they're collecting those stories. And I don't know if they ever use them outside or just internally, but those are, happening every day and they're very powerful and they're human and 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 those i think will resonate with with other people and and they will be inspirational yeah and and so i um in preparation for the book launch i had gotten um shirts printed for the for the book and it was from the the cover of the um uh it was the cover where it said you know don't be a dick and then don't was crossed out and and uh, which has got to be like when you're on the receiving end of like an order, go like, oh, got a new order in, and then you look at it like <laughs> it's got to, you know, kind of make you think. Um, but I went through Custom Ink, and and I was only ordering uh, three or four dozen shirts, you know, so maybe fifty shirts total at the most, and uh, I totally got the date screwed up. Uh, I, I I thought it said that I would they would be delivered on Tuesday the fourth or something like that. Um, but what it was, it was going into production on that Tuesday and it was going to be another week and a half or something like that before I'd have them. And I needed them the week after the Monday after. And so I reached out to him. I said, Hey, look, I know that it's going into production. Is there any way we can speed it up? Like what would it cost to have this, these things overnighted or have production, um, you know, uh, sped up so I can get them quicker. And so she um, wrote back and she said, I've already upgraded uh, your production time. So now they're going to be printed tomorrow morning. They're going to be sent tomorrow afternoon overnight and you'll get them on Wednesday morning. Um, and we've waived all the fees. Uh, and I was like, wow. So, so like, I, I mean, shaved a week and a half of the turnaround time. So I wrote back to her and I said, I was like, look, I got I really have to thank you like that. You know, you have no idea that, that, that helps me out a lot of stress off my plate. I appreciate it. And I just need you to know that be a dick is actually a good thing. And I explained the story in a couple sentences and I said, so, so by you doing this, this was very much like a dick move. And, uh, <laughs> and as, as a thank you. I would like to. Uh, I'd like to send you a copy of the book. Send, you know, if you could send me your address. And her response was, uh, "Too late. I already bought it yesterday." And so, like that to me was just extraordinary. Like over the like, like over the top customer service. Um, you know, and uh, and so, what do you think happened next? I told everybody that story, and I tagged them on it, and I told the story a hundred times to anybody. You know, if you ever need T-shirts, these are the guys to go with. And and uh, and as a result, like. I've created my own commercial, you know, for them. It didn't cost them anything. It cost them twenty bucks in expedited shipping or whatever. Nothing. Yeah, it's it's funny, perhaps a little tragic, that it would take a very, very long time in after you know our marketing advertising have been with us for people to start realizing that 
all you have to do is you know excel with your customers like provide them with a lot of value be nice to them go go over and above to to help them and then that is your best advertising. You know, James Bond also works. Spend a whole bunch of money, <laughs> you know, play some products there. Um, but this stuff is, I think that these are the things that will keep people customers for a very long time. I mean, it's, it, it will take a lot from Custom Inc. if you ever need shirts again. They will have to screw up so badly to, to get rid of the, the karma they accumulated with you that you'd have to think that that cannot be done. So they've got a customer for life. Uh, and even if they haven't, you know, getting if they're not getting more business from you, they'll get word of mouth for life. And, sure. Uh, well, and not, not only that, but like like um, the next time I need shirts printed, I'm not going to even shop around for price. Like I, I'm just going to go right to the source. Why would I even look to see what it would cost anybody else? I know what I'm getting. I know that they're going to deliver uh, because of that experience. Um, and I had a, I had a similar experience with uh, with JetBlue. I was flying to Boston for for something. The the flight was supposed to leave in five minutes, and the plane that wasn't even there yet. And so I tweeted something that was just like, "Hey, is it a bad sign if the the plane, you know, if you're supposed to be leaving in five minutes and the plane isn't here yet?" And uh, and so they no, were. No, that's a, that's a dick move. <laughs> a lower lower case. No, but I was I was just I was just kidding. Like it was a joke. And so so they they had responded. You know, we're really sorry. What can we do? And so my response was like, "Ah, don't worry about it. Like this happens. You you know, you guys were actually." Um, like on the app, it said that the flight was an hour late or whatever. I was just having fun. And they're like, if there's anything we can do, let me know. So, and I'll, I could, I have to find these tweets because they're so funny. And so I said, oh, well, if you're asking if there's anything that you can do, um, I'd like to steer the plane. And, and, uh, and so the response was like, um, you know, they're like, well, that's not even an option. Like, like, I was like, I was like, I'm not looking to take off or land, but like, let me just, let me just hold the wheel a little bit. And, and so the, so the, we can't do that. Is there anything else uh, we can get you? So I was like, well, what about unlimited snacks? And so they're like done. And, and so, so it was this really funny back and forth and, and we're just having a good time with it. And then uh, like two months later, uh, you know, I'm flying in. So, a, you know, just, a, just a second. You do realize that the things you're asking them to do when they say, you know, what can we do for you? You're not asking for, for you know, a reimbursement of the ticket. You're not asking for an upgrade. You know, you're not asking for things that normal grown-ups would ask for. You're asking to, <laughs> right. to, to pilot the plane or to have unlimited snacks. <laughs> well, like, I think either one of those options were really great. <laughs> So listen, you you at some point of the book you mention the Wonder Twins, and <laughs> I got that joke. Right? Right. I got that joke. So you know we're on the same side. I'm just pointing it out to the audience that there's something odd about <laughs> your something a little yeah, a little a little <laughs> cockeyed. But uh, but but the funny thing with with the whole uh, with with that whole you know interaction was I was flying somewhere else a couple months later. And I was getting on the plane, and um, and I tagged JetBlue that I was like, oh, about to you know board the JetBlue plane or whatever, and their uh, response was, I we just radioed in and had uh, extra snacks brought on the plane for you or something something along those lines, you know, un- you know more unlimited snacks, 
And I was cracking up because like, and I know how it works. I know I'm in like some, they have some kind of software that like pulls up the last tweet and it just, you know, maintains a conversation or whatever. So they can, you know, case, case there's like back and forth. I know there was a couple different social media people that I probably spoke to over the course of this, this whole thing. But, um, because of that moment, uh, from now on, the first place I go is JetBlue. Uh, if I'm flying somewhere, does JetBlue fly there? Because, um, I want to keep that conversation going and I want to have like, like that was, it was a, a level of customer service that was above and beyond that I want to, you know, like I never got that from American airlines or Delta or anybody, all these other airlines. Um, but, uh, but JetBlue, uh, really came through. Um, we've, uh, we've had so many hiccups technically with, uh, with this, uh, with this recording that I'm aware that we are well past the time that we said we, we would record for. So I just wanted to circle back. To, to Dick. And I just wanted to ask you because I was looking at your speaker page and you have at least the three talks that people most ask for. You know, uh, I, is Dick there? Because he doesn't no. seem to be there. Well, well, how come is it? I mean, this is, this is how you change the world. Is you're going <laughs> right. to change the expressions, be a dick and dick move and whatever else you can come up with to play, to riff on that. Oh, well, but, the, the, the community are uh, dickheads. There you go. You're perfect. Uh, how how come? Please tell me that this is in the works because it has to be. You have yeah. to get it in there somewhere. It's it, it is it it hasn't been up until now because there was no book, um, and because there was no book, it became uh, I got I got a lot of pushback from people that were just like, well, it's a little too vulgar vulgar for for what we want to do. And and I had a very good friend of mine who's a professional speaker and and he had told me he's, he's like, look, you can't you can't tell that story um, because you'll never work at like, you know, Google or Chick-fil-A or any of these like big, you know, corporate speaking gigs. So and then one morning I woke up and I was like, well, I'm not speaking there now. Like so, <laughs> so, so who it's cares? Not as if, it's not as if they're hiring you over and over and <laughs> saying, exactly. oh, listen, listen, mate, that, that dick story, you have to let that go. Like you cannot right. use that here. <laughs> so because the, the thing is that there's there's just um like and, and this is done on purpose, uh it is uh it, it's there's a lot of shock value with the title. And with the name of the talk and everything else. And um, although all these principles are like so valuable within a company um, or with, you know, within community or, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's incredibly important. The delivery is because, you know, with that title has got a shock value. And if there's no book attached to it, it's not clear. Like it, it takes too much digging to figure out what it really means. So now that the book is out, uh, you know, very similar to your scenario, like, oh, now I'll do a lot of talks on this because everybody's going to want to hear this story uh, now that nobody is speaking anymore. <laughs> or, 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 you know, or you can Trojan horse it. That, that story 100% would be a crowd favorite. if it, Of course. It, it's a crowd favorite. So, you know, the, the talk doesn't need to be called you know, why being a dick is great for your business or whatever you, you know, the corporate <laughs> right. version of that's going to be. But, right. you know, it, it just needs to be there. You know, it, it, there's there's something powerful about standing up in front of a room of, of people and just saying, you know, my name is Mark and I'm a dick. And then waiting and just letting them soak that in for a second and then getting into it. And I do get into like within the first 30 seconds about that this is about my neighbor, Dick. And, uh, you know, because otherwise if you leave them too long on that, it's just, it's too, it's too horrifying. Like they're filling out the comment cards. Well, 
you know, you 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 reached out to me and you said, "Hi, I'm my name is Mark and I'm a dick." And uh, <laughs> and I saw that you had written a whole bunch of stuff, and I just immediately started typing, saying, "You had me a dick." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I I think it's I I hundred percent agree with you. I also think that having seen people like <laughs> Scott Stratton speak, yeah. I mean, he's saying way worse stuff than of kind of a you know puerile uh, teenager dick joke, and is just couched in a way and, and, and that it makes sense. And, and it depends on who the people you speak to as well. I mean, there is 100% a market for companies that would not flinch at the idea of a talk called be a dick, why, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, but, you know, even if you didn't want to do that, just stick the story in there. And, and because that, <laughs> yeah. that, because it's a, it's a great story with a great message, as you well know, uh, it just needs to, it just needs to be there. Cause that's the one that, uh, I've seen lots of other stuff that you that you do, and it all of it's cool, but it's not this, right? And no, this is this is this is one of those things that, like, you know, I, when I put the book out, I knew that I was like, okay, am I ready to be the dick guy? <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's that's what this is. It's like like this becomes like the you know your opus or you know whatever. Like like this is going to be the thing that you get to be known for. Like, are you ready yeah. for it? <laughs> You know, and now my kids know that the father's. Uh, it's, it's so terrible what it says about us, but definitely me. How this I, doesn't stop being funny to me, and I keep I in know. my head. It's like no, you have to hold on to this one. Uh, and I just, you know, I've probably not said about fifteen dick jokes throughout this whole episode. Oh, yeah. This is it's, awful. It's 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 uh you know it's one of those things that like my ten year old self is like so proud. It's just like <laughs> somehow you figured out a way to make a living. Telling I mean, jokes. your kid Zach must be in you know, Carl oh, yeah. nine. My dad has a book called "Be a Dick." <laughs> he, he will actually. He says he he'll say like, like he'll you know call me a dick or so somebody's a dick or whatever. And he says all the time. He's he's like after he says he goes, you can't get mad. You can't get mad at me. I'm like I know you could. You don't have to say it with such an evil smile on your face. <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, so. you know, you're, you've you've made you've made your your bad, and I, and I'll say no more. You need to <laughs> let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, let's just leave it at that. Um, Mark, where can um, where can people uh, find you? So, so, so the book is out now. Yes, um, it's called Be a Dick. It's amazing. Um, if people look for it, they'll find my five star review in there. Why did I name it? I think I said you never look at dicks the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> Or something like I, that. I, I, th that's probably my favorite part, or, or like all the reviews <laughs> of like what people come up like. I want to see dicks everywhere. Was like one of them. So so the, so the books out everywhere. Strong, very strongly recommended. Uh, what else? Where else can people find you? So yeah, you, you, the the uh, the website for the book is I want to be a dick dot com, and uh, and my personal site is markensign.com. It's m a r c e n s i g n dot com. Loudmouse is loudmouse.com as well. Cool. I'll, I'll put all of that in the show notes. It was a bit bumpy, but uh, I'm very glad you reached out. <laughs> right. Very glad you did this. This was tremendous fun. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. And until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
or visit my website, storypowers.com.